I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the interesting thing is we have had these grand notions of you know, when we think of space, um, when we think of Star Trek and we think of space and we have this utopian vision about peaceful uses of space and us all living as one and harmoniously in space. But actually the reality is that space is increasingly like a mirror that reflects the relationships, especially the geopolitical relationships that are happening on Earth. So of course, back in the day, we always had this because we started off in the Cold War in, in a space race between the U.S. and the USSR, the Soviet Union. And today we're seeing a similar kind of race in some people's mind between, for instance, China and the U.S. So countries really see space as a very strategic territory where they display their powers. Welcome back to the world of Where's My Jetpack? Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 23rd century, not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to our space age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudus. And I'm Luke Moore. And each episode, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was, to find out if it was all just science fiction, or if these great inventions are just around the corner or lurking in unexpected places. This is episode eight, Where's My Space Mine? So mining in space, it's one of those things which it sounds like we shouldn't really do, but actually it's the next natural step because on yeah. Earth we've lived off the resources on the land. You know, sometimes for good things and other things we've made mistakes, mm. but in space we take everything we need with us, which means we're reliant on Earth. So if we actually want to explore space and do all the awesome things, mm. this is one of these really exciting things or really actually everyday things which needs to happen to allow all the exciting things to happen so if we can crack space mining we can create we can create this crazy space future yeah and i think um it's with 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 similarities to the episode we did about reusable rockets people will think well you know what i didn't grow up worrying about a space mine but it's actually really important because it underpins a lot of what we want to achieve out in in space and with technology because as you've already mentioned we, we've really never need to look off planet for resources before and this is something that's relatively new that we've started thinking about um whether it's because of rapacious companies not making the right decisions or overpopulation or whatever um we need to be able to to sustain ourselves 
in a way that doesn't rely just on this planet we're sat on now. Yeah, and it's not about, I need to be clear with this, it's not about going to destroy another planet because we've no. destroyed our own. And you see that often, like, banded around in the media. It's not the case at all. And, and some of this uh, manufacturing in space, for example, is about protecting Earth. So if we can do the heavy lifting, if we can create the raw materials that we need for Earth in space, it means we're creating less pollution for Earth. So it's all about protecting Earth. And I'm obviously, this is my bag. This is the industry I work in. And what I'm really excited about about this, Luke, is because you're so excited yeah. about this. And, and people, yeah, absolutely. And people who, who don't necessarily make the connection straight away about this, they go, oh, mining, is that really that interesting? The answer to that is yes, it fucking is. It's really wow. interesting. There's loads of amazing futuristic tech involved in this. There's loads of fascinating ideas, brilliant processes, and genuinely really very talented people working in this area, working in this industry to improve um, the 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 well, as you said, to, pr- to prove what our lot here on Earth eventually. And and of course, it may go without saying, but just in case it doesn't, even our immediate. Um, neighbourhood, intergalactically speaking, is absolutely chock full of amazing resources, right? And it's something they're not being obviously being used anywhere by anyone else. So we well, don't know that just yet. That's well, another episode. That's true, actually. <laughs> like, yeah. At time of recording, I don't believe we, we found <laughs> anyone else using them, but maybe they are. Um, but it makes sense for us to, to go up there and use them. And we've seen a little bit of this happening in the past, which we'll come on to. But very, very exciting subject. This, yeah, and you know, mining in space is about four things. It's about manufacturing, so mm. making things. Um, a great example is a company called Made in Space, and they have a 3D printer on the space station and one of these one of the astronauts while he was spacewalking um called Butch Wilmer he lost his ratchet as you do when you're, you're in microgravity doing a space walk and normally he'd have to wait for a long time for a resupply ship to come up and actually bring him a new ratchet which is needed to maintain the space station but instead made in space using this printer were able to 3D print a ratchet on the space station which means they could create their own tools and, and there's the potential that one day you create body parts you know for longer missions into space Then um, space mining is also about survival. So resources that we need to survive, water, oxygen, Mm -hmm. you know, rocket fuel. It's about money. There's potentially a lot of wealth out there and, and, you know, materials which are precious and rare on Earth are quite prevalent throughout the solar system. And then finally, it's about protection because asteroids are one of the parts we're very interested in mining. But we also need to understand more about asteroids because we know the way it went with the dinosaurs. And there's something known as the Yarkovsky effect, which is effectively um, because astronauts are astronauts, because um, asteroids are small and oddly shaped, they behave differently. So we mm-hmm. can't predict exactly how they happen. And the Yarkovsky effect is the effect of the, the sun, the heat from the sun on the orbits of these asteroids. So we can protect or predict better how they will behave, mm. when they will potentially hit us. So by studying asteroids, um, both mining and protection, it gives us a way to understand more about their behaviour and one day potentially protect Earth. We've all seen Armageddon, we've all seen Deep Impact, those two yeah. movies came yeah. out at the same time, yeah. competing movies. But, you know, it has happened and one day there will be a collision. So there's so many reasons that we mine asteroids mm. or, or looking to mine asteroids and looking to study asteroids and, and other parts of the solar system. This is one of those things that science fiction has dreamed of. So if you've seen the movies Ad Astra or Moon, many of these... Avatar. Yeah, Avatar. That was all about space resources. That's a great one, actually. And almost like the legal side of it, which will come onto it as well. So so many of the human problems also extend to this space resources thing. But let's take a listen to what happened in the past, how we got to today. Whenever we've explored Earth for better and worse, we have lived off the land. But when we started exploring space... We took everything we needed with us, from tools to habitats, clothing and food. The only resources in space we gathered were for science, starting with the Apollo moon landings. As one small step for man, 
And later, the Japanese Hayabusa mission to asteroids. A Japanese space capsule carrying rare asteroid material has touched down back on Earth after a six-year journey covering almost six billion kilometers. Mining in space helps us to understand about where we came from, how the solar system formed, and the threat that asteroids might pose. Is this going to hit us? We're efforting that as we speak, sir. What kind of damage are we? Damage? Total, sir. But while scientists have been getting excited over rocks, science fiction has been making sinister predictions for space mining in our future. All we've ever known is low G and an atmosphere we can't breathe. Earthers get to walk outside into the light. From Moon to Outlander, Avatar to Ad Astra, some people predict visions of human greed and conflict over resources. And what's your point? Earthers have a home. It's time Belters head one too. So I suppose you could argue that effectively the first example of space mining was when the astronauts on the Apollo missions brought back rocks from the moon, right? Yes, that's So the right. first time they brought back 300 odd kilograms of it, and then over the course of six missions or so, they ended up bringing back over 2,000 samples. Technically, that is kind of mining, right? I love your facts. I love that you It's prepared. cool, though. Like, it's you cool. Know, no, but that's, that's why I'm so excited about this, because you mm. you do love this, and I mm. love that you you were prepping for this and like yeah. wanting to know more. And yeah. like you're right, it is, it's, it is mining. It was our first form of mining. Um, the Russians, the Soviets at the time, they also brought a sample back from the moon. We yeah. were planning on um, potentially bringing a sample back from Mars one day, so the Perseverance rover, which is on the surface of Mars, Can wants I ask to cache a sample and, and bring it back to Earth. Why, why is that so important? So clearly there are studies that can be done from Earth about something like the moon, because it's relatively close. You've got technology to be able to do that. What is it about bringing physical samples back that may it sounds like a bit of an obvious question but i think it's really interesting to kind of frame it what is it about bringing those things back physically that helps scientists to learn because you're trying to study something which in the case of like hybrid emissions through an asteroid sometimes billions of miles away mm. and it, there's only so much science you can do there's only so much science you could put on a spacecraft because mm. you've got to remember by the time some of these missions take 10 years to arrive at their destination and then mm. return back so there's only the science is already out of date so when we have a sample in our hands, we can conduct so much more science than we could ever do in space with a robotic mission. So nothing is going to be having... It's like studying anything from a long way away. So that's why it's so important. It's bringing that piece of the universe back to us and allowing us to open doors. It's amazing. That Hayabusa mission is incredible. You know, I mean, the amount of time it took, the amount of miles it covered, the amount of technology it used. I mean, the idea to just the everyday person of people being able to build a probe from scratch send it up into space, essentially intercept a moving asteroid, which is several, several, what, million kilometres away? Like lying a, it's like landing a fly on a speeding bullet is what they achieved. So it was the wow. Japanese space agency, JAXA, who, yeah. who ran the Hayabusa missions. And the fly and, drilling into the bullet and getting the, yeah, the gunpowder out. And then out. coming back. But all of this, it brings up a really interesting question, and that is, who owns space? Like, um, what sure, who's got the right to do this, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and one person who knows a lot about this, and um, we actually studied at university together, her name is Dr. Timmy Aganamba, and, and she's a space government expert at the Arizona State University. On Earth, we're used to sovereignty and territoriality. And by that, I mean, you know, the, the world is split up into nation states. So you know if you're in this territory, if you have a government, if you have a population, then you are a country. But in space, we don't have that. 
basically the countries of the world got together in the 1950s and 60s and came up with a bunch of rules to regulate how we would govern ourselves in outer space. And they essentially came up with a principle called non-appropriation of outer space. So that means that nobody can claim ownership, whether by sovereignty, by occupation, or any other means of anywhere in space. So space, does it belong to no one um, or does it belong to everyone? We're kind of shifting in between both of those notions. But I would say that space is to be used and explored for the benefit and interests of all of humanity. It's a nice notion, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally quite, agree. You could almost think it's it's slightly optimistic, though. So the UN actually has a Department of Outer Space Affairs. So you think of the UN just being Earth-based, but they've also got this Department What a cool outer, job. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and, and they're looking at how protocol in outer space, such as who owns space. If you, if you mine a piece of the moon and bring it back to Earth, can you lay claim to that? And at the moment, it's kind of governed by the equivalent of maritime law. Yeah. But that involves humans behaving and, and humans mm. following rules. So I think what keeps me optimistic with this, and it's certainly a developing thing, the, the legal aspect, is that space is bigger than any one company, person, government. We have to work together in space. We, you know, we haven't achieved really doing anything on our own in space. So mm. we are going to need collaboration when we see mining and manufacturing. And you, you've got to hope that... Um, as this law develops, it's going to bring out the best in humanity. So we're at a position now then really with, with space mining where we've made the first tentative steps towards doing it with things like OSIRIS-REx, which is planned and Hayabusa mission, which has happened and the stuff that's happened when the Apollo mission was were on, were on the moon. Where are we at the moment with this? I, I understand that the, 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 the kind of political side of it and the, and the ownership and the legal side of it kind of runs concurrently, doesn't it? So that's got, those are problems that have got to be solved while we're doing it. Um, because realistically, you're not going to get an agreement where everyone says, okay, well, we'll totally agree who owns what. You can have Jupiter, we'll have Mars. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Should we sort it out today? Yeah, yeah. Who shall we give? Yeah. Luke, you can have Jupiter. I don't want Jupiter. You want? It's the biggest planet in the solar system. I know, system. but it's just a big gas giant. There's nothing I can well, do with it. that's why there. I think you should have Jupiter. I want a rocky planet. If you're dishing okay. me out a planet, I want a rocky one. <laughs> okay, you can have um, Neptune. No, that's a gassy planet. Yeah, that's Mars okay. away. Okay, you can have Mars. Okay, I'll take Mars. Okay, that's okay. the best one. That's the jewel but in the crown. Do you know when sometimes people buy you a piece of the moon, or you can buy stars for people, or stuff like yeah, that? But that's all bullshit, right? Yeah, you yeah, can't. Like, yeah. I'm glad we can swear on this show. If we yeah, established yeah. it, we're at episode eight. Are we in now? Yeah. <laughs> that's bullshit, right? Yeah, it's it got is. Be. It is. It's um, but it's a nice gesture and it's a nice sentiment. And um, it's theft. You, you don't. Yeah, you don't technically own the moon, but it's an interesting thing with you know the Apollo landing sites mm. uh, obviously the six of them on the moon and no humans being back to the moon no. since 1972 people want to keep those sites as a i would say world but off-world heritage site preserve and, them yeah right? preserve yeah. them yeah. but how do you know if china and america don't get in a new space race that the chinese could come and plant the chinese flag on the american it becomes site. like a political uh, yeah, move. yeah it is a it's an interesting thing um so it's interesting to see how this will develop as we head on into the future but let's look at where we are right now with space mining Today we know that there is enough wealth in precious metals on the asteroid belt, which sits between the planets Mars and Jupiter, to make everyone on Earth a billionaire. Space mining has the potential to be big business. The first trillionaires will be those who mine asteroids. Companies are looking to mine asteroids in the moon, not just for precious metals which can be returned to Earth, but for resources that can be used in space to help us explore further. One of the most exciting resources is water, the key ingredients of which, hydrogen and oxygen, can be used to create liquid rocket fuel. In fact, the moon has the potential to become an intergalactic petrol station. If we could find the propellant that we need in space so we don't have to carry it from Earth, 
that will be the way to go. Currently, missions are focusing on how we can best use resources in space, from orbiters studying the moon to NASA's asteroid mission OSIRIS-REx. We're going in. We're going in. Touchdown declared. And the Perseverance rover, which is exploring how natural materials on Mars could be used by future astronauts. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars. Space mining might not remain fiction for too long. So it is it is happening now. Mm. It is, people are looking very seriously at how we can do this. And, and it's interesting that when we first went to space, it was about these two superpowers. And now if you were to get a map of the world and colour in countries with space assets, you'd, you'd colour in most of the countries. So a lot of people, a lot of countries and companies and entrepreneurs have got interests in space because there's a lot of money come from mm. space exploration. I mean, by the year 2040, you're looking at potentially a trillion dollar industry. Mm. It, it, it's huge. And it's a cliche, I guess, but the sky is no longer the limit because it's literally yeah. no longer the limit. Yeah. And where there's money to be made, as much as I as an optimist when it comes to space exploration want to say we're going to explore and all this wonderful stuff, if there's money to be made, that's what's going to drive towards space exploration. And, and the money really is um, a key driver mm. in, in space mining. It's the interesting how a lot of these episodes we're doing in some ways will slot together. So reusable, yeah. reusable rockets will make it easier for space mining, you know, and a, 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 a kind of permanent base somewhere else would make it, it, it easier for, for this kind of stuff to happen. Are we talking about then um, ultimately to kind of to boil it down to the basics when we, when we talk about this subject, are we talking about precious metals and water? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, here? pretty much. So okay. there are, um, well, let's take the example, look at your smartphone. Um, some of the materials in that are mined in the Congo and, and mm. are not very nice conditions. Like I've been to the Congo, I've mm. been to Goma, it was one of the worst places I've ever been to. Mm. You know, And it's not very ethical how we get some of these materials, but they, these are materials that are, might be prevalent elsewhere in the solar system, on the asteroid belt. So if we could mine more ethically mm. off planet, mm. we're, we're, we're doing better for our mm. planet. There's also raw materials like platinum. Platinum's massive yeah. in the asteroid belt, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. There's a huge amount yeah. of platinum in the asteroid belt. So the asteroid belt is basically, it lives between the, the planets Mars, which is now your planet, Luke. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luke's so Mars, please, if you don't mind. Luke's Mars and, and Jupiter. We'll call it Sarah's Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take Jupiter. And okay. um, it, it could have been a planet. It's almost like a, a failed planet. It, you know, it's just this rocky series of bodies um, yeah. which make up the asteroid belt. Um, and actually one of the asteroids in the asteroid belt actually has its own moon, which is very cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I know. So uh, an asteroid moon. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of potentially wealthy materials there. And, and there is that kind of like scary thought that a, a mm. company could go and mine the asteroid belts or yeah. people could actually change the orbits of the asteroids, bring mm. one into orbit around the Earth and then mine it and then bring that precious metal back mm. to Earth. But we haven't quite got to that stage just yet there was also there's also a nasa funded project i went on a research um uh wormhole the other day doing so i love this yeah. i love that you love it deep dive, <laughs> like an unplanned deep dive and there's a nasa funded project at the moment to extract ice grains from the soil of the moon at the poles where it's at its coldest and the idea is that if you can gather it these ice grains in enough quantities you can then convert it into fuel and yeah. it involves it involves like I mean I wouldn't be an expert in this area obviously but in layman's terms it involves pneumatics magnetic fields electrostatic fields to literally sort the sand grains out grain by grain and pick out the ice and separate the ice from the rest and the idea being that longer term um, and I know we'll come on to talk a bit about what's happening in the future, but in longer term, it will be robots doing the work and all you'd need to do is send human astronauts up there every so often just to do maintenance and check and you could basically get a real conveyor belt of water which can then be used for fuel to essentially make the moon 
like a petrol station, yeah, I guess. That, that's, that's, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's cool though, right? What a cool thing! Yeah, it would effectively be an intergalactic or an intersolar system petrol station. And but then I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Moon. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what the characters do. That's on the right. Moon. It's yeah. part of mining. I think he was mining something slightly different there, but it's the same. And the poles of the moon are really interesting because we've got frozen water and we know water's prevalent throughout the solar system. But then it comes back to this um, legal question still. So I'm just going to bring back in Dr. Timmy sure. Amber uh, to look at how things are developing right now. All countries have made legal rules that give the rights to their citizens to be able to own the resources that they actually take out of the space environment. So, for instance, the UK, Luxembourg, Japan and the United Arab Emirates have laws on the books that basically say we're not saying that we own anywhere in space. But we're saying that if our citizens go and they do the work to take the resources out, we will safeguard their rights to that resource. But of course, they have the caveat that that is subject to international law. So we're still in this kind of limbo where we're trying to figure out, well, what is the international law that can restrain the national rules? And at the legal subcommittee of the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space that was in 2021, a meeting of all the countries that are interested in space, they basically developed a working group that is going to like figure out all the legal issues around exploitation of resources. It's absolutely vital, isn't it? Because yeah, this is, as, as we've said, a subject that runs concurrently with the actual exciting technological side of it. Because if you if you draw a comparison with when on Earth the developed nations started exploring third world nations or, or otherwise undiscovered by Westerners nations, to say the least, it didn't go very well. Now, no. it didn't only go badly for the indigenous people of those nations, which of course wouldn't be an issue here, but also the pillaging and the and the and the exploitation of the resource and the natural resources is something actually, if you draw the line from then through to now, actually affects everyday life today because there are still a lot of learned practices, which at the very least you have a hangover from and things are done a certain way because they've always been done that way. So your example in the Congo is a classic example. You know, it's not there's been no history of human beings who are discoverers or colonizers for want of a better word treating these natural resources with respect it's something we have to get right i wonder though if it's actually possible to get it right in advance i wonder whether you have to actually start doing it concurrently as i've said because it's hard to say to people well i know you're planning to do this stuff and it's very technologically minded and you don't quite know how it's going to work and what's going to happen when you get there but until then you can't do this 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 and this because it's really restrictive right so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a problem to be solved, isn't it? It's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. And there's actually um, space law. You know, mm. I never thought I'd be talking about law on this show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's a huge developing field. I, I believe China has more space lawyers than anywhere else in the world. And right. you can't have these regulations in place at the same time because it curtail the, you know, we're trying to do something new. We're trying yeah, to, trying to explore. Trying yeah, to, trying to, trying to, yeah. It's the same with um, space tourism. So we've had recent space tourist yeah. flights and the, the regulation for that with the FAA, it's developing at the same time because if you put all the regulation in place, you're never going to develop. So it's, yeah. it's a really difficult situation. But, humans are built to explore and I have to reiterate this because it frustrates me when it's spoken about in the media but 99% of what we do in space is about Earth Mm. even the manufacturing the mining in space it's about Earth but that 1% can just be about exploration and doing that pushing forward because we should because we can yeah Yeah. and we should always look both ways but we should learn 
from the mistakes we made. Um, one of the analogies which was banded around is um, in terms of space exploration, it's comparable to when Columbus discovered the Americas, sure. or discovered in inverted commas, the Americas, yeah. and then, then the Mayflower set sail afterwards. But we, we did a lot of things wrong with that. So we have to learn from what we've done wrong on Earth and we have yeah. to accept that space, we are united because we call the same planet home. And we have to hope that we're going to do it better in space. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely right. It's really important. And it's not just using resources that we've mined. I mean, some companies are actually looking at recycling um, bits of debris and orbits. The space junk is a huge problem. We're yeah. very, very typically human, particularly when during the space race, we left a lot of debris. And the problem is with debris in orbit around the Earth, if, it's, if it collides, it's something known as Kessler's syndrome. It creates more debris. Mm. And then that debris, because of the speeds it's traveling at, and then that debris can create more debris when there's more collisions. So causes damage to the yeah, spacecraft yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. The International Space Station has had to change its orbit um, because of potentially very dangerous debris because the speed it's traveling at yeah. puncture a hole it could kill asteroids yeah. it, it could destroy um satellites it's very dangerous space walking sat um space walking astronauts but if we can use the junk left in space mm. recycle it and then create manufacture other things in orbit and this it goes in line with the space mining because it's using what is already out there in space Absolutely. so it, it's really exciting all the possibilities to come isn't it interesting how it mirrors like you know how badly we've treated the planet in yeah. the past and then you know littering and not and like i say exploiting natural resources we have to learn these lessons as we go in space and, and make sure that we go do you know what there's a, there's a direct correlation here between how we've behaved before we need to make sure we we do it better but at the same time it's such a gargantuan effort technologically to get up there you kind of start can't can't really start thinking about that kind of stuff straight away because you're like well we just need to get up there once we get up there we can sort these problems out maybe but i think it's a it's a fascinating area because it's mining it's manufacturing, it's technological, it's political as well, as we've yep. discussed. There's lots of different aspects to this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If we want to succeed in becoming a multi-planetary species, then we need to learn to live off the land. We cannot extend our presence in space if we are so reliant on Earth. So far, we have learned how to make things in space by using a 3D printer aboard the International Space Station. But the long-term goal is for space missions to become completely independent of Earth. Son, you're on your own. To one day arrive at another planet and manufacture everything that is needed from raw materials that are available. It's possible that we could even send robots ahead of astronauts to create a base before they arrive. But perhaps the biggest challenge we face in the future of space mining is not the technology, but ourselves. I know. Will the sinister visions of conflict in space come to fruition, or will space mining help to open up the cosmos for us all? And if you think of, you know, we spoke about this on an earlier episode about humans going to the moon and then mm. onwards to Mars, you could actually see a potential Mars mission, the first uh, crewed mission to Mars, where robots go first. Mm-hmm. They create a base um, from the land, from the raw materials. They could use 3D printers, um, additive manufacturing to create that base, mm. create resources, mine Mars for rocket fuel to get home and, and oxygen, and mm. then the settlers arrive. Then the the first humans to walk on Mars arrive, and, and much of the stuff they need is already there. So it also makes it safer for future astronauts. So we will see this kind of like side by side of um, learning how to develop space resources and um, space manufacturing, space mining, and human progression in space. Yeah, and I think it, uh, the human versus robot um, debate comes up time and time again on this show, and I think on this episode it's more prevalent than ever because. There are a lot of factors in humans taking on board a lot of the responsibilities for this that actually limit us. Now, whether they're political, as in can we get an agreement from the nations on Earth to how we go about doing it? Are they physical? Are they, are they what is the human body actually capable of? And feeding into that is the psychological element as yeah. well. Can you be away for a long time? Can you do all this other stuff? Do you really want to be working in a space mine on the moon for ages? Probably not. So robotics exist to help us with that stuff. So it makes perfect sense to send robots up first to get this stuff up and running. Um, hopefully they're not going to be relying on um, a Bluetooth 3D printer because they never work in no, my experience. No, they never do. <laughs> it's like, a bit reliable. Does anyone, do any of you have yeah. like a, a printer which actually yeah. works? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just hit or miss with mine and it's always when I have an important document <laughs> yeah. that's when it won't work. Mine, mine sometimes I get printouts from the downstairs flat sometimes so it's, hopefully that won't happen on Mars. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? There's, there's the, we also, we inherently, and this is a good thing of course, we inherently value human life. So if one person is lost in space or it's a, it's an absolute tragedy for us, if a robot goes, of course it's resource-wise, it's complicated and it's a pain, but it's not as much of a big deal. So I think to overcome these physical issues from human beings, to overcome these psychological issues, to potentially also, to a lesser extent, but maybe also overcome these political aspects as well, it makes sense to do that. When you said to me then, oh, if we send non-human, robot, whatever you want to call them up first to Mars and do all that stuff. If that's possible, and that's obviously as close as you get to a no-brainer, right? It is. Um, I love you, the, your layman's terms of talking about... Well, I am a layman, no, so it's hard no to brainer, do. No-brainer, no we need to send the robots first. Um, 
Yes, I think when we first started exploring space as well, there was more of a, um, it was a, it was a war. So we, we took more risks, yeah. lives were lost. And mm. certainly, you know, as Andy Aldrin mentioned in our Mars episode, um, governments have not wanted to see these big tragedies, particularly with the Columbia accident no, and I'm the Challenger. Yeah, yeah. Cool. but we are going to have to accept that, and I know Elon Musk has spoken about this, that we do need to um, take more risks with human lives and, and future explorers going through. You, mm. There's almost this argument that you're, in a way, and astronauts take huge risks even to this day, um, you're almost pursuing something greater than yourselves because sure. you're going first for your species I understand that. beyond the Earth. Pioneering, right? Yeah, it's it is pioneering. It's exactly that. And you've got to accept that element of risk because if we're going to explore, we're going to have to take risks. And also you look at other nations, for example, such as China, where they might be able to take more risks as a government for their exploration and what I hope we don't see, but what we could see is that competition between nations, mm. maybe a new space race between China mm. and the US mm. and maybe China and Russia mm. working on projects and other. But in general, if you look at the International Space Station, you've got 16 countries that don't always get together, get on mm. well together on Earth, working together in space. So my hope is that we will continue to work together. But it is, as you say, it's a no-brainer. And one person who can explain even better than, than you or I is Ed Liu. He is a former NASA astronaut, and I have a lot of respect for anyone who's taken those risks to go to space. And here's his point of view of why space mining, particularly asteroid mining, is going to be so important and what's going to happen in the next few years. Well, asteroids are of interest uh, from, a, from a resource standpoint. If, uh, and I do believe it's true, that humans will live, work, and exist throughout the solar system. It's the natural place to get resources from. I do believe that this is going to happen simply because the, the growth of humanity on this planet cannot continue to grow at the pace that we've been growing because of the limitations of the size, uh, energy, and resources available on this planet. Now, the solar system is, is a lot bigger, an awful lot bigger, and I do believe that human beings will eventually be living in other places uh, in the solar system besides just planet Earth. And I think it's important to remember that what we're doing and what we're hoping to do in the future is nothing new. All of this stuff, all of this stuff we've discussed throughout Webs My Jetpack on most of the episodes, it's nothing new. The only thing different is that playing field that we're going beyond mm. Earth. It's no different to when we cast off from the quayside during the age of exploration. The mm. only thing different is space. So it makes sense. But something else that, that Ed um, touched on there where he was talking about asteroids is that we don't just send missions to asteroids to mine. And when we are mining, it's not just about resources and money. A portion of that as well is about science because we go to space to answer really profound questions such as, where did we come from? Yeah. Why do we exist and, and mm. where we're heading? And by understanding asteroids in particular, because they're kind of like leftovers from the early solar system you know, billions of years ago, they can help us understand why we exist. One of the mm. most, and this is now about philosophy. It's not just about, you know, almost religion as well. It's that search for meaning. And one of the reasons I love space so much is that search for meaning and, and that philosophy, the philosophical element that comes with it. So in doing all this space mining, in the economics that will drive it forward, in the legal le legislation which will come, we're also going to be able to answer very profound questions about ourselves and why we exist. Are we alone in the universe? All these questions which humanity has pondered for eons mm. will come from something which is an economic driver for space exploration. Yeah, so these things don't exist in isolation, right? It is about sustaining a permanent presence out in the solar system, as as Ed said there. It is about um, 
you know, answering profound questions about where we came from and, and all those things are obviously really, really important. Um, and it's a key part of where space exploration goes next because I don't know, there's a question I had for you, Sarah, which is that as far as I understand it, when the space race first happened, first of all, it was about getting something in orbit, right? Then it was about getting a person in orbit. Then it was about going to the moon. Then it was about getting people on the moon. Then it was about getting, you know, doing whatever. Is is this idea that we get out there and we start reaping economic benefits of of the solar system? Is that kind of potentially, because you've alluded to it a couple of times today, is that something that could be the next phase in any future space race? It's a natural progression. Yeah, I, I it's not the best analogy. Well, there's two analogies I'd use. I, I would compare it to almost like a Wild West in, in, right. in terms that it's no longer a race. This is lots of opportunities lots to make money. On, yeah, yeah. And also comparable with the internet in the 1990s because there's lots of ways to create and we've touched on this with the, in the reusable rocket episode, but there's lots of ways to create companies that will change the world in ways we can't imagine. So it is it's the next natural step, but it, it, it's no different. It's not unique, and it's about creating this off-world economy mm. and expanding humanity's presence. Before we um, go, because I, I cause Ed mentioned, uh, and you mentioned asteroids again there, I really want to let you know that when I was doing this research deep dive um, the other day, I also found um, a what looked like a pretty credible plan to me. I mean, it was associated with NASA. Okay. Where um, one of the ways of potentially mining asteroids is to uh, grab small small asteroids in what is essentially a giant bag and bringing them back to Earth in full. That is, there's some. It's not wrong. Um, there's yes, actually, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. I was excited about that. <laughs> I like the way you were like, well, it was associated with NASA. No, I'm pretty sure they um, were talking about research into it. They're stuff. looking at almost using like a giant net to collect space yeah. debris as well yeah. because space debris is a big hurdle. So this, what I love about space exploration is it's not just about science. It's about having those mad out there ideas because mm. often it's the crazy ideas, it's the mavericks, and yeah. perhaps like yourself, yeah. um, who, who have these <laughs> with their yeah. giant I'm, net. I'm a maverick, it's not a constructive way. <laughs> um, but it's about having these bold creative ideas which um, create the impossible and create these new worlds. And we need people to think differently. We, we don't just need scientists and engineers. We need those creative minds as well. Yeah, and space mining, we should obviously be absolutely clear in case we haven't already. It's not just about what you imagine mining to be, like a, no. a man going down underground with a hat with a light on it and, and tapping out some coal. It can mean lots of different things. It can mean manufacturing. It can mean mining for minerals. It can mean getting water. It can mean establishing a permanent presence. It can mean grabbing an asteroid. It can mean lo- all it's these different things. survival and protecting Earth. Wow, so now it's time for the, uh, the the part of the show where we decide whether something is science fiction or science prediction, Sarah. I think we probably know the answer to this, but I'll let you take I, it away. I think you've made up your mind, haven't I you? I have, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm an expert in this now, as we've known. You are, you, yeah. you've done your research. <laughs> um, Ed Lewis is the man for this. He's been strongly involved in asteroid research on top of his role as a former NASA astronaut, so let's give the final word to him. What you'll find is that settlers will go someplace or companies or, or individuals will start doing activities in space, and then somebody will realize, oh, wait a second, we better have laws to govern this. And so the, the laws, I think, will come after people do stuff. And I think that day is coming sooner than people may realize. Sooner than people may realize. Mm. So it is what I would say with all of this stuff in space exploration is it's happening much faster. We only need to look at the change that has been seen in the last few years. And it's kind of like a spiral effect. It's exponential growth. So as soon as we can crack this, more and more incredible stuff in space will happen and what I'm looking forward to is the cost of launch coming down and and really seeing manufacturing going on on Earth not just for um, things to protect Earth and manufacturing of materials and creating new satellites but also medical research medical things we can manufacture in space because without gravity cells behave differently we Mm -hmm. can understand more about 
cancer research, new mm -hmm. treatments for different sorts of medical ailments, to a huge amount of medical research using manufacturing in space will benefit all of us on Earth. And I have to stress this, space exploration is not for the few. It's for everyone on Earth and it's about ensuring the survival of our species. And I think, you know, if you could argue that literally speaking, since 1969 or whatever, it was, it's been fact, it's been science fact because things have been brought back. But ultimately, as Ed was saying there, as you said, it's science prediction. It's going to happen. It's going to happen sooner than people maybe even realise. And it is a lot more interesting than it sounds. Yeah, but it, it might not be like the movies. No, maybe not. What is? It could be better. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Join us next week for one of my favourites as we find out whether we're alone in the universe as we ask, where's my interplanetary neighbour? Where's My Jetpack is a stat production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore and Sarah Credis. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally and special thanks to this week's guests, Dr. Timmy Aganaba and Ed Lou. If you like this show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a huge difference. You can also find us on Twitter at Sarah Credis and at Luke Aaron Moore. And join us next week where we'll be asking the question, where's my intergalactic neighbour? Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.